Okay, we are live. We've got a special episode. We're going to call it episode one of growth. So we're talking CBG, of course, growth. We've got James Richardson. If you haven't read it or listened to it, Ramping Your Brand is the book. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's my pleasure. Um, we were talking offline, but I wanted to save a lot of it. Uh, I, I just listened to it. I would have read, but I realized I don't read. People saw my post about that. This is the second book that I've read or listened to in years. And I'm very upfront about that. I just, I don't enjoy reading. Um, yep. And and then people were kind of like dogging on me about it. Like, no, you should, you know, people I respect, by the way. Um, no, you got to start reading. And I'm like, all right. So I, I've gotten through two books. I'll probably keep going, you know, commitment. Um, it was, if you're in CPG, you have to read or listen to this book. And I don't, I didn't know James personally before this, we tagged each other a couple of times on social and all that, which is great. Uh, I'm just saying this just totally objective. You should totally read or listen to this book if you are in CPG. Um, there you go. Plug. Um, why did you write it? Just to leave that there. We're going to start. We'll talk specifically about well, why did you write it? Give us the framework. So I wrote it um, because I needed, <laughs> I needed to ignite my own business. I mean, let's be honest. Sure. I'm a, <laughs> the book is very transparent, so I, I refuse not to be. Um, I think one of the moments that you would appreciate, Mark, because <laughs> you've been to these events, <laughs> um, you sunk more money into them than I ever did. Um, I was at a trade show. I'm not going to say which one because it doesn't really matter. Anyway. I'm sitting at a hotel bar and I'm overhearing some sales guys talk absolute falsehood that I happen to know because of the data science that's in the book. And because I'm, I'm Asperger's, that kind of thing, like I literally, I have to go in a closet for a couple hours because <laughs> I just can't stand um, you can call it arrogance, but it really is a neurological problem. Like, I just can't let it go. <laughs> Normal people can just say, wow, that's not really true. Next drink. <laughs> but I just, it bugged me so much. And I think I reached a tipping point And I realized that people were not getting access to knowledge that I didn't even think was important. And I was sitting on it. Uh, and I had an agreement with my prior company that I could publish about it or use it when paid engagements outside the public se public firm sector, outside the Fortune 500. So that, that was my agreement. I didn't know how to do it. And then I realized, oh, I'm at these trade shows and all these people are coming to trade shows and they're, it's often their first big social introduction to all the major stakeholders. It's their big theatrical introduction. And almost every class is there. Like almost everybody's there, even the creepy consultant guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, but I realized that they, no one was talking about the thing that I was paid a lot of money by big companies <laughs> to be people on the cutting edge was, which was human behavior, consumer behavior. But they weren't talking about their consumers. I, I want to frame that now for somebody. <laughs> what I, if, if somebody were, were listening to that, what we're talking about right now is a lot of stuff that we even see on, on LinkedIn, right? And I can only imagine if you overheard something at the bar, well, you must read posts every once in a while and just be like, oh, that's really, oh, that's yeah, not I good. Or, I, yeah, I, I try not to. 
And, 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 and that's, I and that's okay. <laughs> I, what I, to frame where we're going to go with this, it's just somebody who actually has the data, right? right. And the science. And we all would love to, to just lean into that. We all would love to say that we're running and operating a business that solely is focused on that, right? And we would pivot or move based on exactly what we found out and all that. Right. Well, well, it's nice because you've even admitted you're not in it, right? You're, you're not the, <laughs> the one standing behind the table hawking the new plant right. meat. You're just the one saying, I don't, I have no fight in this game. I'm just giving you guys a playbook here. Right. The playbook I'm giving you is, is factual, right? And so uh, that's what's nice about it. And by the way, if you listen to it, he, it's him saying, and he's got kind of like this fun thing going on. Anyway, it's kind of funny. Like you're like, is he, that's, is that his humor? I can't tell what's going on. Anyway. Well, that's because I'm from, that's because I'm from New England. So if you're not <laughs> from there, uh, dry humor is the only humor there is. It, there is dry stuff, but, I, but I, it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun and it, it re-engages you if you get lost a little bit, because sometimes right. it gets a little sciencey and all that. So, so what, like, let's just talk about, I don't want to talk about 20 years worth, but let's talk about the last like seven years of, of what you see in CPG. Okay. Give us from seven years where it's kind of a gold rush thing, right? And then we'll, yeah. we'll morph over to now. And and what would you say would be the theme? Like, is it just too many, too much money, um, low brewery of entry? Mm. Like anybody can just make a cookie and sell it. What did, what did you see seven years ago at that peak of that? I, um, yeah, I'd say, I would say that you hit most of the things, the low, the low barriers of entry, um, not so much the easy access to institutional capital, because that's actually never been quite that easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been easier, sure. <laughs> but, sure. but um, the ability for, I mean, I think there's just a lot of people seven to 10 years ago who were, um, they were riding the momentum of the natural organic sector, all the classes of stakeholder and money was professional service people were making money. Um, trade shows were selling, were renting booths. Um, I think there's a lot of people who had, or some big institutions certainly that had a lot of financial incentive to get a whole bunch of people in the game. So if we use marketing and a marketing analogy, there was just a massive amount of money and energy getting the trial funnel widened, right? The trial being the entrepreneur trying to make it. Um, and it, I believe it got totally out of control. I mean, I've talked about this on a few other podcasts. I, I kinda, I don't work with early startups anymore. I did, I mean, I'm not, I did, but I stopped because I realized that even though I had some things that might be of value to them, the payoff would be so long-term versus the near-term real actual problems that they had as business people. Mm -hmm were ones that quite frankly don't interest me and I'm probably not the best person to help them through it. And here's the real click. Here's the real thing that nobody wants to talk about is some of these people just shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to, I don't know how else to say it. I, I've tried to be nice, but I, and that's one of the reason I stopped working with them is that I don't, I can't help as a consultant, as you pointed out, you know, I don't have skin in your business. I'm sitting on the outside, absorbing as much data as I can. I put you into a pattern analysis machine in my brain yeah, and I can help you see blind spots, but if you can't execute, then what the hell can I do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean to be cruel, but that when you're a new business person and I've been in this situation, 
You know, it's not like I, I'm not, I am an entrepreneur myself. In those early months and years, you're not a great executor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just what it is. <laughs> or, or or you are, or you are, right? Maybe, maybe that maybe, is like yeah. a, a high I, a high <laughs> skill set. Like it's at the top of your list. Some but people, you, yeah, some people are, Mark. I think in those they have a huge advantage if they have a certain skill set package ready to yes. go. But the average person that I would bump into troll like literally trolling in the halls of Expo West didn't have much of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I so I don't think it's wrong what you're saying. And by the way, I want to defend you there. I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's mean at all. Um, I because I agree with you and I talk to a lot of people too. And this isn't even putting myself up there. I don't I still say to the day we're six years in. I I I, I jokingly say this, but it's like I still have no clue what I'm doing. Like, like but but most understand like ah you're cut a certain way like you talk about execution like ah you could do that but I I have had phone calls that are scary and well, I have too <laughs> and I'm sure you have and and I say this in in the in the best of ways which is like they're gonna go get twenty grand from their mom and I'm like uh don't no no don't do that right yeah. <laughs> but I I'm probably more like you like I would never get in front of someone's dream that way. If all that I can right. do is just give them a response to questions that they have and be really honest with them. Like, yeah, I've I mean, I, conversations I agree. Really and I, 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 I'm with you there. And that's one of the reasons I just stopped because I stopped working with companies sort of less than two or 3 million and trailing recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, preferably not 80% of it on Delta airlines, which is now a thing. <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, Oh, it is. Yeah. It's actually not, it's not the dumbest thing to get the cash flow and ops going, but it's sure. very risky. And marketing. It's a great marketing tool, right? If you, you know, it's very yeah. risky when they call you up and say no, but <laughs> yes, yes. The but I don't, I don't want to be in the situation of having to be, um, you know, dancing around my words and being very careful not to kill their motivation. Sure. Uh, and, and honestly, there are just some people that, I really think should be doing something else. I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm very careful actually on the internet. I, I have some very strong opinions, but I'm very careful. And there's one thing you'll never see me say anywhere in public, which is, um, oh, that's a really fucking dumb idea. Yeah, yeah. And you look, Mark, at how many people are saying that on the internet, yeah. uh, in person. Sure. Um, uh, investors love to do this. Ah, I don't, eh. Yeah. And they're sitting on a pile of capital and they're like, eh, I don't, I don't feel it. Yeah. With nine, with nine dead deals in their portfolio, by the way. Yeah. Go ahead. And I'm just, it's not even that, it, that that's an arrogant thing. It's sure, just sure. that I know that that's not the issue. Like in the first million, almost anything can get to a million dollars. more. Yes. Almost anything get to 5 million in this industry. Yeah. I wrote the book for people who want to, who have sort of gotten the engine going and they're yeah. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This could actually be something bigger than even I thought. Like yeah. I was humbler than the product is. Now what do I do? Yeah. Like, that's, could that's I get this to 50 million? Could I get it to hundred million? Yeah. yeah. And to me, that's what's exciting is to work with founders at that stage. Let, let me ask you a question on that then. Just what, yeah. is, what is that? If we're talking about growth of a brand, what is that thing that takes it? I'm, I'm going to go from one sequence to the other that takes a brand from 10 million to let's say 25. Give us that range right there. And not just like, because they got more distribution, you know, it went from 5,000 stores to 10,000. Like, you know, the stuff that you talk about, which is dive deeper into what is working. And then maybe they hit the gas a little bit on that. 
So I talk about in the book, I mean, it's the first third of my book, but what is, what, what is going on is, is uh, symbolism that's emanating from the product mix itself. And as an anthropologist, that's what I help clients decode because actually the nuances matter a lot. Um, and uh, a couple things off on the package can even, it can really kill trial. And that doesn't matter actually, Mark, in the first half million. I mean, that doesn't matter. Your, your branding could be horrible. Your symbolism could be god awful. You can probably still move it. But if you want to get to you know, 20, 30 million dollars, that's where fine tuning these things actually makes a big difference. Could you give an example right now, since it's just so, it's such an amazing, like give us that then. So like, um, uh, I, there's only a few brands I can talk about publicly. That's fine. That's right. So Shout what, out what, to them. They, they're going to give some love on here, but it's, but it's worthwhile <laughs> because I think people are going to yeah. watch and they, they all want a reference, right? They one want a visionary. Them, one of them, I mean, there's a couple classic cases, um, but the one that's more recent that um, I find interesting was Once Upon a Farm. Okay. Which launched as a refrigerated baby food category. They hit a, they hit a cash flow and volume wall because they were selling the stuff in coolers. And if you can't get the cooler, I'm talking about a sales problem. If you can't get the cooler in the store. There's no expansion. Sure. <laughs> a total nightmare. Yeah. Sort of set up for the economics of the business. But the package itself was basically just a giant trademark. I mean, in that sense, it was good because you definitely remembered it. Yeah. But it wasn't clear what was different about it other than USD organic. And I yeah. think what and it's found, a great name. It is a fun some... name. It, great it's name. a memorable go, go ahead. name. Organic was useful, but as I talk about in the book, organic is one of those certification symbols that you know, this is no longer exciting in most categories. It's done mm -hmm. actually create memorability. It's sort of, it's the kind of thing that certain shoppers filter for. Sure. But it doesn't build a brand. Okay. Right? And so what they figured out was it was actually reduced sugar content compared to what? Compared to the crap it was selling next to. Okay. Stonyfield yogurt in a pouch. So, so sure. when, they put, when they put no added sugar on the top and a big, it started to have a real big effect with trial. Um, but the thing that I tell people is you need to design a product and measure the result of that with consumers to prove that you have word of mouth actually happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'll, you'll know it indirectly because you will have spent nothing on out-of-store marketing, but your velocities are growing at the same stores. The only thing that can cause that, really, if you didn't do anything else in the store, is people are talking about your thing. That's a, a wonderful comment. So, but, but, you know, and this is something you can, when you get a little bigger, you can actually measure that in uh, with survey tools. Um, but, but you can infer it. And I think the thing that I talk about early on is most products don't have that. So um, if you are in a crowded space, so say you're like the second, third or fourth mover, um, and that, that's not an uncommon situation sure. <laughs> because copy, copycatting is super easy now. Um, if you're in that situation, then you have the ability to, um, you have the necessity actually to do something out of the store that's going to cost you either time or money to build awareness faster than the other guy. Yep. And that's, and that's the thing that I see in that revenue range you're talking about. If you haven't raised a couple million by then. Mm-hmm not to spend, but to put in a dry powder box. It's like <laughs> what investors would call it, right? Sure. And that dry powder is sitting there not, and the smart investors, this is how they write checks, by the way. They're not writing checks like to pay last month's expenses. No one mm -hmm. does that. 
Yeah. And if they do, they don't work with them. <laughs> yeah. They're investing in your future. And part of that is some of it has to be reserved for acceleration techniques that cost money and they cost it fast. Uh -huh. So you, you have to, you can't necessarily just expect it to come out of your gross profits, which are probably already allocated to other stuff. So, you know, whether it's field marketing, um, whether it's, you know, viral YouTube killer video marketing, um, like liquid death does sure cost money. Uh, it costs a lot of money to do it at a national national scale. And so people often haven't raised the capital to execute those techniques or they haven't built the culture of the organization to constantly be working at a store first in their home market and then the, in some other big cities in the United States. So I talk about this in the book because it, and it, it costs, unfortunately it costs salary dollars, right? So it does hurt your profits, but this is how you get the awareness growing in an irrational way, Mark, that gets the velocities going um, in a way that no, even the best sales team probably can't pull off. Now, the one exception to that is if you've got this skinny pop thing, <laughs> sure. which I, I described in my book as kind of the thing that ConAgra had, they had their shit together, should have launched 10 years before. Yeah. But they don't because they're a paralyzed, analytically paralyzed CPG company at the time. So they, yeah. they didn't get it out. But it was a mass market product that should have been done a long time before. And they, you know, so they got super lucky with the design. And so all they needed to do is display the crap out of it. Most people don't have that luxury. They've got, they've got some, I mean, they've got something that's sort of in between. And that requires you to get foot soldiers outside the store to make a noise. You can do it digitally, you can do it offline. Um, I'm an anthropologist, so I, I believe and have more faith in interpersonal sampling. Uh, I, I, and, and, then, and the thing is that you can, you can, you can measure it in interesting ways. Um, I, I could listen to the, I, and the reason I haven't jumped in is because I, I just I could listen to you for the uh, days and it's not the format of this but I'm going to go for I'm going to go longer on this episode because I just hope that if somebody's watching this and they get even to this that they're sitting there doing what I'm doing I'm just I understand I'm just going to pitch for you for a second you're just clearly objective that's what's so beautiful about this you again have no skin in this meaning like it'd be great somebody hires you and all that but they're hiring you actually to do what you're doing right now right. you're clearly objective so i want to i want to actually recap what sort of you're saying and i want to dive deeper into it if if somebody wants to see if they have some something right something on their hands they could go into a regional market their own could be in socal or you know and go to a market fit i mean like if you're a conventional player you're conventional but like if you're a natural product try to find one of those natural you know those natural retailers and go in there make sure your product sort of stands out and says something does something to create engagement and if it's working you'll know because you didn't have to get the foot soldiers in, digital coupons, sampling, <laughs> spend thousands and thousands right. of dollars. Instead, you give it six weeks, eight weeks, and you see, hey, we were turning three units a week on the one SKU. Somehow we're now turning five. Well, that you would be yeah. saying is because they went home and they told their homie, they told their friend or their mother, or their sister that, hey, I'm buying this new baby food. 
right? Right. Sorry if it's not claimed the baby food market. I'm using sorry, once upon a from John shout out. Here you go, right? Here's a plug. I'm buying this new product, right? It's in this set. And I really enjoy it. I like it. Price points kind of, oh, it's a little more expensive than the other. You know, they're doing all that, right? But they're they're giving, they're they're offering up this this promotion, right? Right? They're this this in, inner virality to their crew, and it's free as far as the spend, right? Yeah. No, I, I think the challenge that people get into is they. And this is another reason that I, I kind of stopped working with startups from a more of a how to be a good consultant is that I need I need folks who are ready to make some potentially big changes on things. And that's scary as shit. Yes. When you have a negative EBITDA business, and as I said on another podcast that wasn't consumer related, you know, when you order hundred grand worth of Comey yes. product and stuff it in a warehouse, that's not the that is really a bad moment to say, hey, let's talk about your package symbolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like because you, you have this enormous psychological sunk cost that it's perfect. And so it usually takes a couple of years for people to figure out the velocities aren't moving. Um, they could be stable, they're not growing fast enough. Uh, and that's where iteration can help uh, to get those to move up organically. Is that a death of a brand? I'm gonna let's just go right well, in. I, I'm telling you, is 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 there such thing today? <laughs> knowing that there are no acquisitions occurring. I'm sorry to say this, I'm yeah. just in facts, right? People are, are thinking that they're going to be like acquired for $300 million. It never happens. It never oh, really happens. I think about, and this is me, I'm in the business and I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm just being factual. It never happens. And, 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 and if you're trying to take money off the table, or you're trying to do this, like, Oh, that also very rarely happens. No, especially right now, we will get to now. No major investor, institutional money is going to allow you to take money off the table and, and protect your, you know, I, I'm saying this, by the way, this is not always the case. I'm trying to be gentle here, but the, I, I, the, I'm framing up the likelihood of a major success story is slim to none. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you if your if your standard is some of the case studies in my book in terms of the exit, um, then yeah, you're right. And I I don't put those case studies in the ones that made it into the nine figures because I think everybody should be aiming for that. Absolutely not. I've talked about that a little bit publicly, which is I think if you want to go if you want to try to scale to that degree, that's a special path. I wrote a book literally by me that will guide you. Um, on a mental model to figure that out for yourself, given your own category positioning and everything. But, you know, the reality is um, if you can get to a million, $2 million in recurring revenue, the likelihood of your brand, um, I'll be uh, short of a supply chain disaster, but from the demand side, you could be around forever. I've seen it in the data. I've seen it in spins data sets at the category level. It's amazing how many, you know, million dollar, $2 million brands, they sort of, they don't grow much anymore, but they hang around, right? So the risk, the risk, once you get up past out of that death funnel, I, I write about where you can't cover your fixed costs and that's why you die. <laughs> and yeah. there, you run out of aunts and uncles to bail you out. Yes. Once you get above that, stagnation is really your biggest risk. 
And so the book is really meant as kind of a, and it seems to have worked. It's meant to go the highly ambitious people. It's like, wait, why are you taking your foot off the gas? Do you believe yes. in your thing? Do you believe in your thing or not? Okay, well, let's get it to a hundred million. Here's how you need to think about that now, because now you actually have to switch your mindset from the product doing everything, all the work to, oh crap, now I have to spend money. Yes. Because um, most people are going to have to do that. They're not in, they're not in the skinny pop market position, mm -hmm. right? Where they're, the big boys were asleep at the switch. Yes. Can I give this you one more? Can I give you one more than like RX bar? Oh, would yeah. You, would you put that in the same frame? And remember, I always say this, I was at the regional CrossFit event, their first one oh. when it was this little thing. So I have real context and I'm a consumer. I'm, I'm, I'm in the health and wellness, right? So it's like, I saw that and I went, oh my God. It's where I'm gonna use this word and I, I hope you would agree, timing. It's, all, it's yeah. definitely on your side if, if, you, if you nail all those things at once, right? Yeah, I mean, RX Bar went through a package refresh and they, they did, it's, it's very clear from the data, you know, that I've looked at that the, you know, if you just look correlation, from a correlation perspective, that once they got the symbolism around simple and whole ingredients, um, in the context of, of what was highly, what was the original category of bars, it was the yeah. power bar, it was a processed slab of goo. Yes. For athletes like me in the nineties. And I was one of them who, I was the first power bar who just, we didn't care what was in it. We needed performance. Yes. <laughs> now things then change. And so our X bar had a good, they had a good um, foil and they had a great package redesign that made it instantly clear. Oh, wow. This is really impressive. They're so, here's this process category and they are so cocky. They're literally telling you all five ingredients. And yes. you know, that's the kind of, that, that's a great example of using, and they use consumer research, fan interaction, but also just good category analysis to say, how do we stand out? Yes. And community. I mean, RS yeah, and, and they did a lot that, and they did a lot with field marketing and all for, those for those that know, yeah. for those that know CrossFit too, yeah. I, it was peaking at the time, yep. the name and symbolism, as you would say, there was, it was boom. It all just like, ugh. but they, you know, they had to, like, but they also had to put the effort into the field. Oh, marketing. Yes. And so the thing yes. that, the thing that I talk about privately with clients is that even in the beginning, this actually doesn't have to cost as much money as people think it does. Um, where people get tripped up. I don't know if you talked about this, where people get tripped up with field marketing costs. Cause they'll think about, well, to get a space at a music festival in Palm Springs or some shit, it's 50 grand or 25 grand. And then, well, I guess we can just, the three of us can go and staff it because we love our business. And, you know, so we'll save money there. Oh, but we're gonna, then we're going to pay for 10,000 samples. And, oh. and so they see the cost and it's painful. Uh, and they don't, they might see a sales increase, but they're not looking at the creation of fans because the fans will pay you back probably in six to nine to 12 months, but they actually pay you back even more, right? Longer term because they're gonna be talking about you, but they will essentially pay off, like, like the secret loan. They will pay off your field marketing investment. But you have, to, you have to understand that repeat effect and you have to be able to say, well, we got it. We have to find a way to measure, did we generate that or not? And that's where something as simple as even your UNFI sell-in distributor reorder volume rate, you know, because if you smooth that out mathematically, and break it down to units. And I do this for, I've done this for clients. You smooth it out. You can sort of get this guesstimate 
um, at the demand flow and you see it going up at the store at the units per store per week. And you should be able to see that go up after a field marketing investment that's sustained, not one event, but a bunch. Right? Yeah. So, and I think it really takes time in the beginning market. It, it, um, there are fees and everything, but if you create a, um, ROI vision on some of that stuff in the medium term, and you'll get paid back in, in, in the medium term. Um, that's really the hard for people to do. Yeah. And part of, we, if we can circle back to what we were talking about before, part of it is that people are not starting with enough seed money. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to say this, but I, I've consumed enough startup CNPNL when I was working with those folks. I'm sitting there looking at this, you know, cash balance. Um, and, you know, other people like Doug Raggio have talked about this uh, more openly. And I think he's right. The, the cost to give you enough time to do the things we're talking about properly, which create the market advantage and the memorability, there's a cost to that. A startup, yeah. It's a startup cost. And yeah. in CPG, we have high startup costs. This is not um, an iPhone app I designed in my living room. <laughs> You know, and all I paid was the Apple SDK fee. And there's you know, a lot of people who are going to shake their head in affirmation and understand this. And I talk about it a lot. They're, they're, so the I'm coming close. I don't want to. I don't want to say publicly that this is a game for the rich, but it's a game for the well-off. Well, so either, either game, that, either the, either you made the money. Yeah, and I yeah. think you did. I know you're in real estate. I know you come in with your own assets that are significant and above average, or yeah. You can, you, you, you're like my, I have a anonymous friend in Canada who is a, re, a TV star and she just produces money out of friends. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's access to capital. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's access. You, you either, you either are, are, are well off yourself, right? And your uncle's rich or you have access to capital. And then there is, I don't want to put this as if it's never, then there's the small few. Those are the ones, I mean, we admittingly, we all root for the most, right? Of course. The, one, yeah, the ones who never really, who didn't have that, they have a great product. They, they also need all these things to happen though. They have a great product. They have the chops, right? They, they like, you're like, that person's got it. I don't care what they do. They may not sell cookies, but they're going to be successful, right? And then they have the ability to connect the dots and or be put in front of the right person who does give them that chance. It's why I always say, like, you've got to give some other people a chance here. It's not yeah, just I mean, like I, I think that and, I'm describing the world as it is, not yeah. how it should be. And I think that's, it's unfortunate, but um, this is a capital intensive business in the beginning. And, and some of the things that, um, one of the reasons that um, look, there's two ways to do field marketing on the cheap. One is you have a, you have affluent co-founders who don't need to be paid. Yeah. And so right there, you've got six figures worth of high energy fucking free labor, <laughs> right? Cause that's what you'd have to pay to get the same energy. Sure. Um, that's an unbelievably valuable to start with a team like that. Mm -hmm. right? And I, I see people obsessing with their product, right? Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, R and D is important but not obsessing with the team. It's like, I don't need a team. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but I've talked to enough folks and looked at enough stuff that the majority of people are starting these businesses solo. Mm -hmm. But look who gets to 10 million. They're not solo by that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I don't even think the people who get to a million remains are really, I think the data, if you could collect it, would suggest it skews towards some kind of group. It's not, sure. it's not a dude with a bunch of 1099. That's yeah. my business model. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about a guy who couldn't do the business, couldn't start up the business that I advise on. It's me. <laughs> I don't have the money to risk and I won't risk it. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I have other priorities and I'm not sitting on millions. So I have a 92% gross margin <laughs> business. So for me to take a home equity loan with that kind of gross margin, that's not stupid. But to take 80 grand out of my home equity, thinking I'm going to start like a nutrition bar company is, I just don't see that ending well. Yeah. With nothing else. And you've seen it all. And, and that's coming <laughs> from somebody who's seen it all. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I want to, we have to close up because I, these are, these would run for, this is the longest show I've done thus far. And it's because I could literally do this for hours with you. And which by the way, that means we'll do an episode two. Cause I will. I'm going to okay. set up an episode two. We're just going to run to the next phase of this. It, it, let's we're in this now. It's very m mucky out there right now. And I know, you know, it. and again, even talking to brands that are, you know, well capitalized. I mean, once upon a farm is just got well capitalized. I mean, I don't know how long that, I don't know how long it stays well capitalized. I'm just right. being free about it. Right. You know, you're talking refrigerators and stores and all that. It's expensive, folks. I don't care what, you know, and, and, and people out there be like, you know how some people are, there's haters about it. Like, oh, they, look at them. They got refrigerators in there. That's why. Don't be a hater, dude. Just, just yeah. that's just a shout out. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's doing what they did, is which is they have data and they did get well capitalized. Um, they've got seasoned people on the team who have done well before. All of those things, again, we talk well, about yeah, it. I, mean, I think, I think right? John has mentioned it, you know, um, see, John is one of, not an arrogant serial operator. No, no. I love the stuff he puts and out. That's after. actually quite rare yep. in my experience. So I don't tend to work with them because they don't think they need a help from a dude like me. And that's fine. But I think the smart people, even if it's their 13th business, they know that they have a category growth and scale is a category based puzzle. And I talk mm -hmm. about category in my book and you've got to figure that puzzle out um, where you fit into the category. And that's a cultural issue, right? Where do I fit in? Am I the bleeding edge? Am I Siggy's yogurt? I mean, am I getting mm. very small groups of ultra like models in Manhattan who are obsessed with eliminating sugar? And uh -huh. they were the they were the first freaking group to be obsessed as Hollywood Hollywood people and models were the first people trying to eliminate sugar because yeah. they had some they had millions of dollars at stake mm -hmm. in looking exactly the same until they're fifty years old. Yes. It's just like most humans just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. They care. Right. So you had, are you that or are you, um, well, RX bar in a way, because it's not, it was not the first high protein bar. I mean, a lot of people poo pooed it when it at first appeared because, like, oh my God, we need another protein bar. Are you kidding me? Um, I'll and go so, a step further. And I, I don't want to say this because I, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's also not that good. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm so, I'm just saying what it is. Ah, it's not like, if ah, you're but in, see that, that is, that's because, but, but by the way, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to frame my own comment. That's subjective. Sorry, folks. I'm saying <laughs> it's, it's not like I was, it's not craveable to me, but they've proven it was to the, the million customers. Well, that's, be, that's because nutrition 
this is where you have to come back to category. The whole nutrition bar space um, is, is made up by the industry. Just let's be totally clear. Like this has no connection historically to uh, human food waste. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's complete in creation of industrial food processing from power bar. That's what it is. Um, and that actually creates a different set of possibilities for you as an innovator, which RX bar played into. And one of them is people will make massive sensory trade-offs in bars, Mark. Hmm. And they will not make them like in the category you're in. <laughs> I love, I get they that will comment. not make them there. <laughs> and, but I'm just, I'm actually more curious because in snacking, like right, right we're in a puff category. Is it because yeah. they've already had a pirate booty or something that made yep. with cornmeal and it doesn't matter that there's one that's it's not a it's not even a brand to brand thing mark it's the, the category innovators in these extruded snacks are uh -huh. really you know it's cheetos ah. you know you got a multi-billion dollar powerhouse that has convinced us that this thing this kind of thing is put in our mouth purely like in almost an animalistic pleasure uh -huh. There's like no nutritional reason to have it, right? So if you want to do like nutritional salty snacks, you have to find a way to not attack the core of the whole category because people will just, you know, it'll backfire. But if you can find a way to be, one of the brands that I know um, spent a lot on R&D to, to do this was Pedos, you know, where where they actually spent years trying to figure out to make it taste exactly like a cheetah. Um, and that's not hard. That's not easy to put that kind of time and money into that game. But that's one of the techniques that has worked uh, in salty snacks, which is you spend a lot of extra time making sure the sensory experience doesn't actually diverge much from those processed junk food kings. And that's a problem you have in salty snacks that you don't have in bars. Mm -hmm. um, the problem actually gets even worse if you get into things like cookies. So if you, mm -hmm. you know, one in my old days when I had a team of consultants and we would, we would go in for clients and we would just deconstruct their category and then hand them growth strategies back for their product lines and brands and yada, yada, yada. Um, one of the things I learned was how massive the variation is across categories in terms of not only natural organic market share, but the growth rate. So like most people have forgotten the whole spindrift pivot. It's like it never happened. Spindrift was a fucking easy knockoff. It was horrible. It was objectively not a great idea if he had spent the time or had access to the market research because he would have already known that hundreds of people had tried to scale a high sugar count premium soda and gotten nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because just nobody wants a healthy alternative. When they want soda, they want it. <laughs> Maybe you can do an eight ounce can. <laughs> They'll feel slightly more in control of their, of their unabashed sin, but they're trying to sin. If they don't want to sin, they drink a lightly flavored zero calorie seltzer water, which yeah, is not which the same I, thing. It's not the same case, thing. Three cases in my refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. Shout out Spindrift. <laughs> Yeah, because I, what they found out was, oh, there's actually a different usage occasion, literally. That's what it was. And that was the one that needed innovation, was a better tasting LaCroix. 
I want to frame one. I want to frame one thing back to you. Then what you said it is coming back to my category. I get free advice right now. <laughs> I I'm just saying this to you, and then you can reply back. I don't care about free delay. I never have and never will. Right. I I speak openly about it. Right. I, my kids eat Cheetos. Like I, I don't <laughs> care. I speak about health and wellness. Our category, the one that about I won. Right. Yep. about nutritionally balanced, better for you snacking, right? That's the only focus. Like I, I only care about the, maybe the, the eventual 1 million customers we have, not the 40 million that, 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 that Frito-Lay has, right? Meaning I'm so laser focused. I've even said, I'd love to run Frito-Lays one day because I could help, you, you know, you get where I'm thinking yeah. on that. No, like, I think I, I, think I um, so I don't disagree with you and you're not being overly concerned with those big giants competitively on a brand to brand basis. What I was talking about was that the, they've, the problem with the big guys is in a lot of the categories, they've created the category as an industrial product and the, everyone in America thinks that in that an Oreo, a sandwich cookie should taste like an Oreo. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's that cultural expectation that the business created yep. in our broader society. They don't even control that anymore. They have to serve it too blindly. <laughs> right? uh -huh. So um, like you'll notice that Oreo doesn't screw around with anything they do as an extension. It tastes exactly like the cookie. And they will put any chemistry necessary to make that happen at Dairy Queen or anything else. They don't mess around because they can't change it now. Oops. I'm just saying that that's the context you're in. So for example, the free advice I give you is actually something I do in one of my paid webinars. What has been shown to grow these, these early stage segments, like these nutritional segments, is uh, bringing people who weren't eating the thing. So they were not eating Cheetos and you bring them right in. So they don't give a shit about that context. So they're not, they're, they're aware of it, but they're not coming in and comparing the sensory experience head to head. Cause that's when a brand like yours gets into trouble. If they start doing that, you don't get the repeat purchase. The wonderful, yeah. wonderful, yeah. valuable comment. <laughs> Holy smokes. Cause so I you need to find people right who don't I can, I like, I would, like I would literally, you could even find ways to screen for those people. Yeah. Ours was already a better for you eating individual. They were, they might not have been like as me, like super like into health and wellness, but like they're on that line, right? They never had or never wanted to have Cheetos. They want to or continue to eat better options. It's that simple. And if well, you I can serve the, them in our category, they're like, great. Oh, wow. There's so uh, the reason I would be optimistic about what you have, I haven't eaten it. That's why I'm not. So I have no comment, but Great. Um, I'm very honest. <laughs> so, um, but the reason you should be optimistic about your business is, is what happened with uh, sensible portions 15 years ago. And oh my God, everybody made fun of that business. Like absolutely everybody. Uh, but the reality is that it, it did not taste like a mainstream Frito-Lay junk food. That's true. But what happened was it wasn't attracting those people, Mark. It was bringing people who had stopped eating that or never ate it. That's such an unbelievable. So comment. they didn't have the frame of reference to confuse them. It's just like political campaigning. If you, you've got to know what your frame of reference is and make sure you have a group of people who don't have the wrong frame, because if they bring in the junk food frame, now you're just setting yourself up to fail because I, 
how do you compete with a, like 80, 90 years of marketing and, and just exposure to the, the, the salt load? <laughs> it's just, and so the artificial flavors. It's just like, comment. yeah, I, it's I, you, you want to find people who, who just don't care about that or they don't even know what it is. As you go younger, Mark, it's really funny. As you go younger, you've got mo- millions of kids who actually didn't even grow up with that stuff. Yes, yes. Well, that's because if you did your work or you did your homework, you were penetrating those households that yes. didn't didn't have it, right? Yeah. That, and so, that's so, yeah, so that's what happens wonderful. is that you build the business on those people. And then once you get to the point where now you want to go for nine figures, you do something which is, you flip the code a little bit, which is you now use those, you use your early fans to be the, they call this in, in social psychology, they call it social proof. They're the social proof that that weird looking thing that I, the Frito-Lay person, don't think should taste good, must taste good because my best friend eats it. Yeah. And that, when, once you can get into those, out into those networks, that's how you get things into nine figure businesses. Yeah through marketing, field marketing and other stuff is now it's got enough credibility that people, the social credibility and the cultural credibility of what you got to 50 million now causes the people on the fence to go, eh, maybe I should have that. You know, but I'll be honest, there are a lot of people who give up long before that. Of course. (laughs) Of course. No, seriously, they just rather sell to private equity and move on because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, or or like you're putting it, they've been barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, right. Right? They've been they've been laser focused for one reason or another, egos and no, my way is the highway. You know, like where well, where they might have yeah, missed it. Yeah, I always get concerned when I meet folks, even folks who have the more you know developed businesses when they're not they haven't criticized anything mm. about how they started the business even though that was seven years ago, that always makes me nervous. Good stuff. <laughs> like- <laughs> I mean, we're gonna, we have to do a episode two. This, this, uh, James Richardson, ramping your brand. I, I'm telling you off the back of this, there, there was gems in this alone that, that surmised some of the stuff, but you got to go get the book um, and just, uh, we'll do an episode two because there, you, you're, I, this is just so valuable. James and I appreciate you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was you fun. be good. All right, take care, Mike.